Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The National Football League season, as we know, has been closed, but I'm sure we'll still find something to talk about because nothing circles the wagons quite like the National Football League, so much so that one of its quarterbacks went into hiding for three days in the dark, and it's news because he came out of his cave. What is he, the Lord? What is he, the Messiah? Some people might think so of Aaron Rodgers. We'll get into some of that. The National Basketball Association had its all-star game and all-star weekend festivities. Not sure who actually sat down and watched said things. We'll see if the old report did as well. College basketball gets closer and closer to March, and the excitement continues to see which teams will win their conferences and potentially make runs deep into the tournament. And Major League Baseball is back practicing. Pitchers, catchers, hitters, the whole nine. Everybody's talking about what they expect to do for this season. Because thankfully for some teams, everybody starts the season zero and zero for their wins and loss records. We can start with the NBA as our focus will turn more toward basketball around this time of the year and more discussion about where teams stand after the All-Star break. But the All-Star game was held, the festivities beforehand, the three-point shooting contest, the dunk contest, the whole nine as we know and love. Matt McClung won the dunk contest. The former Texas Tech, etc., college player, the G League star, comes out of nowhere in some realms and senses because he's only just been signed by the Philadelphia 76ers on a very short-term contract. He's bounced around the league a little bit, played for the Los Angeles Lakers for a cup of coffee. He's turned down opportunities to play overseas. He wants to play in the NBA, and he'll do whatever he can to make that happen. He is renowned in basketball YouTube and highlight realm, however, as one of the best dunkers that you'll see and has gone viral tens of hundreds of times over as just a six dude white dude that can jump. This guy has been going viral since high school. He did the same in college, and there was a lot of excitement that Mac McClung was going to bring that to the dunk contest, and he didn't disappoint. A couple of 50s, some things we haven't seen before, 540 dunks. He was incredible. Some are arguing he saved the dunk contest because in recent years, it's just kind of been ho-hum. And then one year when it was exciting, they gave the award and championship and winner to the wrong dude, which was crazy in its first place that we were doing that. And he'll never be in the dunk contest again, as he's mentioned. So it was some highlights and excitement the night before the All-Star game, which turned into a one-on-one fest between two Celtics players, zero defense played, something that Coach Malone said was one of the worst basketball games he's ever seen played in person, which is coming from an NBA current head coach of the Denver Nuggets, funny enough. And their star player didn't do anything in the game. He admitted the all-star game's not for him, so he kind of just stood around for a little bit. Luka Doncic stood around for a little bit. That's nice to see when 
the top MVP getters in the league, including Giannis Antetokounmpo, who came in for the first drive, scored, and then got taken out of the game because his wrist hurt. So your star players, LeBron had to leave at halftime because he slammed his hand against the rim. Some of your star players couldn't even play in the game, and those that did almost, in a sense, made a mockery of what many people who fell in love with the All-Star game wanted it to be. As the new report, I didn't really watch much of it. I didn't really care to see what was going to happen because I knew what to expect. It's one of those now where you can turn it on in the fourth quarter and maybe see some defense played. That didn't happen, even with the new rules that are in place where they put up the score for how many points you're ahead by and you have to get to a certain number to win. They didn't really care about that. But I'm interested to see what the old report had to say about the All-Star game because I have a feeling that if you had it on, Al, it probably didn't last for very long. Well, John, it's always great to be back with you and all our fans and friends. Uh, Dunk contest first. Matt McClung, the ex-Georgetown and Texas Tech player, literally stole the All-Star weekend. He was the star of the All-Star weekend, period, end of story. He was wonderful. Serious, serious ops, well above the ring, had an assortment of terrific dunks, uh, won it going away. And when asked if he would come back, he said, absolutely. I'd be thrilled to. Can't wait. Very cool. Watched it with Justin. Uh, We were jumping out of our chairs in terms of how high he got up and the creativity with the dunks, which was terrific. Um, And the rest of the contest was okay. You know, there was some, some, some decent competition. Especially the kid from Virginia, you know Murphy the Third did a good job. It was a runner-up, but McClung clearly, clearly stole the show. Three-point contest, uh, it was okay. You know, Damian Lillard won it, uh, not unexpected, and it, it was pretty good. It, it wasn't nobody shot the lights out, nobody went nuts, uh, but it was okay. But clearly, McClung was the star of the All-Star Weekend, and the game was quite simply a complete and total embarrassment. I believe it was the lowest rated all-star game in history. And it wasn't really a game. I mean, the best way to describe it uh, was basically the Globetrotters playing each other. It was, it was a joke. It was nothing but layups, dunks, and chucks. I mean, blowing kisses to the crowd constantly with Jason Tatum, going at it with his teammate. And, you know, guys are taking 45-footers. They're just stroll across half court and put it up. It, it was embarrassing to watch. And I know all the All-Star games have gone you know, by the wayside in terms of their importance and uh, the competitive level. The Pro Bowl is gone. It, you know, it's turned into flag football. We know that hockey, they barely touch each other. And Major League Baseball is clearly not what it was, but the difference is there's still guys out there throwing 95, 98. The the best way I can describe this game is if we were equated to the Major League Baseball All-Star game, it would be like they would be pitching underhand with no infielders. It it was an absolute travesty. Tried to watch it. Sat here with Justin, my son, he's 22, digs the NBA, huge Laker fan. First quarter, that was all she wrote. After the first quarter, we just kind of shook our heads and moved on. Because it was, you know, it's impossible to watch. And these people who, they enjoy that, okay. If you think that's, if you think that's cool uh, to just, 
it's not a it's not a competition. It's not a game. They didn't even go, which they used to do, at least go full bore in the last quarter when everything was on the line. They still they didn't do that. So I don't know, it was one ninety four to one eight, whatever it was. You know, when they totaled up the quarters, they play by quarters, obviously. But in my mind, it was a joke. And you know, if this is what Adam Silver wants to put out there, who by the way is lost, he is absolutely he's a nice man. He's been a good commissioner for the players, but he's just he has gone so far to the side of the players in terms of how he runs his league. Load man, we don't have a load management problem. We don't. We don't. What are you looking at when you got guys who simply decide they don't want to play? They're going to play two thirds of the season to stretch out their careers. Not you're hurt, you don't play. You're nicked up. And you can go, you go, but not anymore. Not in, not in today's NBA because enough guys don't care about winning every game. Used to be the best guys, and you know we'll sit here and name them all. We know them all. You know, Bird, Magic, Kobe, obviously the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, and so on down the line as you go back through the years. They wanted to win every time they went out there. And these guys, you know, winning every game is not that competing to win every game is not that important. You know, take some time off so I'm well rested and I feel good, you know, my best for the playoffs. You know, as long as we get in, you know, we'll get there. It's really gone so far into the other direction. Fortunately, we still have a Mikel Bridges, who was part of the Duran trade, who is the Ironman of the NBA. And we still have, God rest his, God love him, Anthony Edwards, the first pick in the draft a couple of years ago, who said, I'm going to play every game. I want to compete. Load management is not for me. I want to be out there playing every game, every night. I want to go. And I want to be the guy. Thankfully, he is just a baby at, I believe, 21. And we need far more of that than you know the Kawhi Leonard's of the world, who's a terrific player. Then the Kyrie Irvings of the world, who's a terrific player. And, you know, obviously they have wonderful work ethics to get where they've gotten. But as we said last week, sometimes it seems like they just don't feel like working. And every time Kawhi Leonard, or, or, or excuse me, every time Kyrie Irving opens his mouth, it, you know, you just want to turn the sound off. And, you know, another guy who's getting that way doesn't play anymore. And you were a coincidence, another guy from Duke. You know, now we have to listen to this nonstop nonsense from this idiot, an absolute babbling buffoon, your boy, J.R. Reddick, or J.J. Reddick from his podcast, which just not only does he not respect the players from not just the 50s or the 60s, the 80s, he's clueless. You know, now saying that uh, you know, the schedule is harder when you don't have back-to-backs, when you don't have four and five, the schedule now is harder, okay? Uh, the game is harder to play because there's more open space and there's more ground to cover. But the schedule, the way the, the, way the schedule structured, the game is harder. I, I mean, are you lost? Could you be more lost? What a coincidence that two guys from Duke, both incredibly bright, every time they speak, you want them to just shut up. 
because they are totally and absolutely clueless. And one is more lost than the other. And those are your boys, okay? Duke new, Duke old. The old Duke report, the new Duke report. It's And they're an embarrassment. They're an embarrassment to the league as it sits right now. If this is, you know, the new media that they like to call it, if this is the voice of the player, okay, that's getting airtime, they need to seriously reconsider who's doing the speaking for the league. Well, I should say for the players versus the actual league itself, because this is, it's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. J.J. Reddick didn't have a clue what he's talking about. I don't care if he played. He didn't have, he, he couldn't have played back then. Couldn't have played. Couldn't have played with no three-point no three point shot. That's why he was in the league. And he's, and he's a wonderful shooter. And by all accounts, a good guy. But, you know, this now, what he said, basically every time he opens his mouth, he's so, so far off base and so wrong and so disrespectful. You know, they weren't tough. First of all, they weren't good enough. Now they're not tough. This guy's in, in, in another world. Absolutely another world. Lost. Absolutely lost. Amin Hassan had an interesting point Who on I love, Levitard's show. I love I love Amino Hassan. Yeah. I think he's tremendous. Yeah, he does He does a great job with Levitard and friends. So he was on with them the other day talking about the All-Star game, and he's pissed off that these dudes don't want to play. He was citing, we see this in the offseason, these viral videos of these pickup games that NBA players have amongst each other or celebrities or people in the community where they show up at a gym and they just hoop for a couple hours. And somebody makes a highlight tape and you get to see all the good moments and stuff like that. It's either in a gym. Sometimes they even show up at Rucker Park or somewhere outside and they just play basketball. And there's no money involved. There's no fear of injury. They're just playing the game. And not everybody does this, but the majority of guys, when they're getting ready for the season, need to play and they play pickup games. As we all have, if you like basketball, that's what you do. You go out and play now. And there's no forcefulness to have it done. It's not coming down from the team. It's not a mandatory session that they have to go train. They just want to play basketball. Why can't that happen for the all-star game? Once a year, you're together with the best players in the world in front of a packed house of fans that want to watch you play that might not get the opportunity to throughout a season. Here they all are under one roof. Let's watch them ball. And they don't want to do it. No, it's not everyone, but it's a random assortment of folks. Like, I don't want to be the man on the porch yelling at the kids walking on his grass at 33 years old. But some of the best all-star games, I feel, were in the past maybe more than a decade ago. When the East and West, you have your fun in the game, of course, throwing it off the backboard, having dunks, shooting long shots. Once the fourth quarter game, it was it was ball. Allen Iverson, Kobe, Stephon Marbury, just lethal killers in the All-Star game. They would cut off their hand to win that thing. And so would everybody else. Long gone. Different attitude, different mindset with the players. And it's just not that important. Not that important. Uh, They're getting their money. And... All they really care about, for the most part, is staying as healthy as they can be to play as long as they can possibly play 
because that makes them the most money. You know, they would rather play, you know, 18 years and 50 games than, you know, fill in the blank, you know, 12 years and or, or 14 years and 75 games. Uh, they'd rather not play. They'd rather rest. You know, I'd rather rest too. And I understand it's a big difference in terms of what I do and what they do. But, and it's incredibly, incredibly skill set, incredibly high skill sets and great athleticism, but you know, no more than it was, you know, five, 10, 15 or 20 years ago. And it, it's just, it, it's a different mindset. It's a different mindset with these players, whether who's putting it in their mind, is it them? Is it doctors? Is it owners? Is it trainers? Is it wives? Is it families? I don't know. All I know is, you know, the money has been huge for years. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, they're making massive amounts of money. They're making more and more, but they've been making massive amounts of money for a long time. But it just seemed to me like the guys who were the stars of the league wanted to win a lot more games. And the way they did that was by playing them. And I don't think it winning as many games as possible matters nearly as much as it used to these players. Now, Nick Wright's theory is that's our fault. It's our fault. I shouldn't say our. You're officially in the media. I'm not. But well, he says the media, stretch, sure. the media puts too much emphasis on rings because that's always the talk. Rings, 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 rings. How many rings he got? How many championships he got? How do we rate them all times? How many of it's fun rings, whether it's NBA players, whether it's quarterbacks? Uh, not as much in baseball because obviously the far different element to the game with, with the pitcher has so much control and you're only one guy amongst nine. But certainly with quarterbacks and certainly with NBA players. So we put too much pressure uh, with the discussion of rings, so players are going to be more prone to load management so they can be ready for the postseason. Well, and you know I love Nick Wright, but there's nobody – I mean, if that's what he thinks, that's fine. But that's kind of got the pot calling the kettle black because you know every year that big Mr. Jokic uh, is up for the MVP or wins the MVP, uh, Nick's first – shot at Jokic is <laughs> how do you do the playoffs? Where's the rings? Right. Can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. So you, you can't say a guy's not great because right, uh, he doesn't have any rings you know, on the one hand and then attack the media for saying uh, well, uh, you know, it's our fault with load management because we put too much pressure on the win rings. So which way do you want it? And that's one example. But the point is, I think it's nonsense. Uh, I just think the attitude is different. And and the all-star game is another element of that attitude. Because, you know, it's not like you're going right back to work. The all-star game was Sunday. For those who played in it. Well, people are still taking days off. And this and, and and this is the first night back and it's Thursday. So if you were an all-star, you've had three full days off. And since most of the league wasn't an all-star, 
you basically had a week off. Dame Lillard, three-point shooting champion, took tonight off for rest because of some flight problems that the Blazers had getting to their game tonight. They don't care. Against the Kings. That's what people don't realize. These, there's no reason for them to care. Who holds them accountable? The fans sure don't. The fans fill the joints, all right? And all they want to see are three-point shots and dunks. That's all they want to see. And they fill the building. And that's all that matters to them, three-pointers and dunks. Want to see the ball thrown off the glass to himself, dunk it. Pass it off the glass to somebody, dunk it. Pull up from 40. The further you shoot from, it, like I said, it's fine if it's Globetrotters. But you know, when you're playing a game, isn't the idea to play as hard as you can, high percentage shots, score the most points, defend the other team from scoring, uh, and do that as many times as possible so you have the best record in the league and get home court advantage? And look, I understand 82 is gone. Jordan. Kobe, they're not here anymore. That kind of attitude is very rare. But, you know, 50, 55, 60 games, play what I want. It's it's asinine. It's nonsensical. And, again, these are incredibly well-paid athletes. And they're getting paid. When they load manage, when they plan, they're getting paid. It's not somebody saying, oh, you don't want to play tonight? It's fine. No play. But you're not getting paid. Nope. 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 I don't feel like coming to work. Now, I'm sure you can get fined. But, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little nicked up tonight. Or, uh, you know, I just, stomach's bothering me. Whatever the case may be. I just, I, I think uh, I may have to take that off. Okay. All right. That's cool. And it. It's never ending, and it's getting – it's the snowball going downhill. And unless in the next collective bargaining agreement they put some triggers in that get guys on the court more, whether it's in regard to being an all-star or MVP or whatever the case may be, um, so the, the Frank Isola idea is instead of scoring average, it's points. Where's the most points? Uh, is the leading score. Because you know, to get the most points, you got to play. You know, totals, not just average. We'll see what they do, but I think right now, even though everybody seems to think the league is in a great place, the competition is is fabulous in terms of um, how well rounded and deep the league is with respect to the competitive aspect of the various teams. There is no dominant team. Uh, obviously, the Celtics have been the best team all year long. But there is clearly no dynasty, you know, right now. Uh, however, you want to look at the Warriors, they are not dominating the league. They are struggling to make the playoffs, like the Lakers, for example, who they're playing tonight. But you've got parity. So you know, you've got the NFL in, in that regard. But what you really need to figure out is besides having parity, uh, how are you going to structure it to get these guys to want? Or need, because I don't think it's one. What are you going to do so these guys need to play? Real, they realize they have to realize that they need to play. We'll see what they come up with. Collective bargaining agreements coming soon. Um, 
I, I think they've got to make some serious changes. It doesn't help that 10 teams from each conference get into the postseason or at least have the opportunity to get in. Because even just looking at the West, as the Lakers try to become playoff eligible after making a couple moves, they had an ugly start to the season, 2-10. and 10. Since then, I think it's like 28-23 and 23 or something like that. It's above 500 basketball, so they're trying to – Make up for what happened at the beginning of the season. Since the two and ten start, they're one game over five hundred. Maybe two tonight. Cross our fingers. So they're twenty-seven and thirty-two. It's been an ugly season for the most part. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. So if they're two and ten, they're eight. Yeah, they're three over since the, the two and was it two and eight start or two and ten start? I think it was two and ten. But okay, two and so eight, two, two and ten, 10 which ugly is eight start. under. That means they're three over since, which is nothing to write home about. But you know, we'll see what the new lineup with the changes and the additions uh, brings them for these last 23 games. My realistic goal for them is 16 and seven, mm-hmm. which would get them to 43 and 39, which will get them somewhere probably at the back end of the front eight, uh, clearly in the play in 43 and 39, they get your seven seed. Who knows? Uh, the, the key is who you're beating because in the West, Everybody is so bunched up. You almost want to would rather lose to the top two or three teams than beat them. Because if you lose to the top two or three teams when you go 16 and seven, that means most of your wins are coming against the teams that you're competing against for those six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 spots. Right. Uh, versus you know, knocking off the top teams and losing to the teams that you know, are right in front of you. So we'll see. 23 games, LeBron has called them 23 of the most important regular season games of his career. And, you know, he's not far off because, you know, he's played all these years and he's never been on the fringe of getting in. You know, all those years in the East, obviously, they they were always in the playoffs. And since he's been with the Lakers, you know, obviously, you know, the first year he got hurt, they didn't make it. Then they win it. Uh, then P and AD get hurt again. You know, they make it easily, but losing the first round to Phoenix, and then you had the nightmare last year. So um, I understand what he's talking about because these 23 games can make or break their season. And I do believe they have 16 and seven in them. Uh, if the big if is always Anthony Davis stays healthy, but knock on wood so far, so good. You know, hopefully we'll make it through the show without him getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, knock on wood for that. And anybody but listening with the at home, acquisitions please. that they made and and um, the depth that they now have, and I really like the way Darvin Ham now has it structured because he's got two, he's got a first and second unit, and I think it's cool. I like it. And then he mixes everybody in. Um, I think this team can can go sixteen and seven, and if they go sixteen and seven and get in at forty three and thirty nine, depending upon the seed who they open up against, whether it's they're in the play-in or not, I think they can do some damage. But that remains to be seen. But the crazy thing is, even with the year that they've had, they're two games out of getting to the 10 spot, two and a half of nine and eight, three and a half of seven. Phoenix Suns are 10 game backs of first. Lakers are 14 and a half. They're four and a half games out of the fifth seed. But the Five thing games is, out of the fourth. We have been saying that for a long time. Right. It's terribly and hard to move they, up and, and down. And no all question. they've done is stay there. Right. They have not made any hay because we've been saying for two months, they're only two games out of seventh. 
And where are they now? You know, it's seemingly the same story. So time is a wasting. Uh, I really like a lot of the moves uh, that Rob Polinka made in terms of adding, you know, one of my bugaboos was, was youth. They've gotten much younger. They've gotten much deeper. They've gotten better on the rebounding side in adding Vanderbilt and Hachimura. They've gotten better on the defensive side. Uh, they added the big guy, Mobamba, to give them some depth size-wise. Although he's like, you know, a crapshoot every time he goes out there. You literally never know what you're going to get. They added some serious shooting with Malik Beasley and Russell. And they removed Russ, who, as we know, was a struggle in terms of fitting in, although he had a terrific year as a sixth man, but still could not shoot. And they fortunately removed to me, you know, Kid Toxic, uh, the hideous Pat Bev, who, as I said before, you know, people like to say, you know, you love him when he's on your team, you hate him when he's on the other team. With me, it was the same. I hated him when he was on the other team, and I hated him when he was on our team because I just hate him. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a lot to love. The big highlight was when he came onto the court with the camera to show the official that he got the call wrong. That that was that was his highlight of the. It was one of the best technical oh, fouls I think in, in NBA history, up there with Sheed looking at the ref wrong. It was beautiful, poetic. But that, if that's your that, lone highlight, that that's and, not great. That and the offensive rebound dunk, right? Which we thought clinched the game against the Celtics before he committed the hideous foul, were his two uh, with the technical. Those were his two highlights of the year. They won that game. Would have been a little bit sweeter, but alas. Again, they gave away. New look Lakers. We'll see what they're able to do. But I mean, it's just interesting that after all the ugliness, there's still a chance. And that's somewhat a storyline of the NBA where so many teams have that opportunity that you don't have to kill yourself the whole season long because you can have an under 500 record and still get into that last game and then think, all right, we got to play our way in. We got to win. Well, that's part of the 10. That's part of the, that's part of what the plan is brought. Also, yeah, you know, yes, it makes more team more teams competitive, and more teams active at the deadline, but you know, it also drops down the number of wins you need to get in, which drops down the desire and need to play and compete as nearly as many games because we now got a better chance to we got a better chance to get in. So you know, what, what's the big deal if I don't play tonight? You know, ten get in, we can make that up. Ten get in. And as the league gets more and more bunched, especially in the West, is the gap that big? Is the gap really the, the, the gap in to me, the gap in the in the East between the first four, you know, right now, I think it is, you know, it's Boston, it's Milwaukee, uh, it's Cleveland, it's Philly. I, I say that quite frankly, disrespectfully to the Heat. I don't think the Heat, as structured, can go to an NBA final. I just don't see it. I don't see them going to an NBA final over those four, any of those four teams. Just don't see it. Can't disagree with you, and I agree with that first four being at the top of the heap as of now for the East. It's the different where, ballgame is, is in the West. Where is the West? You know, you look around in the West, Yeah, we're Laker fans. But if the Lakers come in at seven, playing well and healthy, they can't beat whoever the two seed is? Why not? Right. You know, Phoenix, 
you know, obviously they're not on top of the division, but they can't make a big time run now as reconstructed. You have to remember, everybody, the big guys who got traded all came last. You know, which, which threw another uh, you know, scenario in terms of the competitiveness of the teams that we didn't have before. The Suns were struggling. They were struggling all year with injuries. Now all of a sudden, here comes Kevin Durant. You know, Dallas has been okay, but, you know, barely over 500. You know, with Luka and whatever help he can get, they miss Brunson. Boom. There's Kyrie Irving. Say hello to my little friend. So, you know, the, the West has become much more competitive because those teams were not in the top two or the top three. And now, you know, people are freaking say Phoenix could be the best team in the West. So. It'll be interesting to see. The too long didn't read for all of that is we don't know how to fix the all-star game. <laughs> I mean, you could pay the guys a million dollars to play in the game. You could dangle things and carrots in front of them and hope that they run after them. But I honestly don't know what you can do aside from you don't want to make it a G league game, but those rising stars types of players, it might get to the point where you put around a bulletin board to all the players, like they're signing a petition and say, do you really want to play in this game? You have to give a max of, you know, 20 minutes, whatever it is. If you don't want to play, that's fine. We'll still name you an all-star, but just let's put somebody in there like a seat filler. So they will be competitive for a night. It's such an interesting juxtaposition between watching an NBA game and then knowing all week long, you'll be able to find a college basketball game that's going to be competitive. More often than not, you can find a top 25 ranked team. Just turn on the TV. Just turn on the TV and watch them. You'll find a competitive game. It'll most likely be a top 25 team. Odds are you'll find a Big 12 team thrown around there somewhere, playing each other and killing each other, trying to get to this conference championship week and into the tournament alive and healthy. That's really the main goal, I think, for that conference. Can, can Just get us to the healthy. I understand it's your conference. I understand it's the best conference in the country. I understand the defending national champs who are playing terrific right now have far more quad wins than anyone who's even close. And I watched them win a huge game at TCU the other night in which they played like warriors. But how, as good as the conference is, at 5-11 and 11 in conference, I believe, all right, over in the SEC, how is what, you know, your former Big 12 uh, member, how is West Virginia in the tournament as for Joel Lenardi at, I think they're 5-11 and 11 at last look after their big win the other night? How are they 5-11? and 11? Or excuse me, how are they in the tournament 5-11 and 11 in their conference? I, I'm sorry. The old report for years has wanted you to qualify for the tournament, no matter how strong your conference is, because they don't want 12 teams from a conference. But you got to be 500 in your conference. Not over. 500. Not over. Just be 500. I, I don't know how you get in at 5 and 11. I, I just don't. I just don't. 16 and 12 overall, 5 and 10 in their conference. So give them that one extra game. It was funny. We talked to Bob Huggins on Big 12 radio today, actually, and he brought up how difficult of a schedule they've had throughout the year. And they did have 
some challenging games in the non-conference, what's actually helping them for the metrics-wise, because I agree with you, the metrics loves West Virginia. I'm not exactly sure where the bold and highlighted and italicized portions of their season is what's setting these metrics off to have them in. But beating Pittsburgh helped them because they blew them off the floor 81-56. But it was the second game of the season. They beat Florida by a million early in the season. Lost to Xavier, which can carry some weight. And then it's just been pretty ugly in conference play for long stretches where they lost five in a row early in conference play. They were on a three-game losing streak before they won the other night against Oklahoma State. Losing to Texas Tech on Saturday is a sin. Like, that's just a game that you have to win. So now they're going to Kansas, they're going to Iowa State, and then they host Kansas State. Where are they going to win any of those three games? Okay, maybe you can make a run in the Big 12 tournament and throw a couple of those off, but I think they've got to win two of those last three and pick up another game in the tournament because I'm with you. Five wins in the conference. I know how good the conference is. I've watched West Virginia play. They can be really good sometimes. Did I say SEC before? West Virginia's in the Big 12. I think people are. I think I mistakenly said SEC. After I talked about the Big 12, I think I mistakenly said SEC wins. Um, So I I just – I. And I watch them play. See, the thing is, with so many of these teams, they're, they're, you know, you never know what you're going to get. One night they, they play great, the next night they're awful. And they're a perfect example. They've had stupid losses, too. Like, up X amount, going to the free throw line to ice it, you miss three, four free throws, you lose the game because of that. You're up eight, you blow the lead. Bob Huggins has been so angry about some of the different instances where those games have happened. But, like, I don't think that's something that the committee is going to take into account and they're going to look at the score and say, well, this one was close. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they were going to win this game. That's not how it works. It's still a loss, but the metrics love this team. I think they have a little bit of ways further to go. And unfortunately going to play at Kansas isn't going to help. And then going to play at Iowa state's not going to help. What also didn't help them is they were trying to get Jose Perez, this transfer in six, five, he was supposed to be something that was really going to help their team, but he was one of those, like his coach left before the season. So then in November, he decommitted from, I think he was at Manhattan and he wanted to come to West Virginia because his coach left. He was like, Hey, I didn't come here to play for this new guy. I wanted to play for this dude. Let me transfer. So of course the NCAA got involved and they said, no, you can't do it, which was surprising because they'll let a lot of stuff go now more than they used to in the past when this instance happens. A coach leaves, players feel, and I agree with them, they have the opportunity or should to go to another school. It didn't work for them, so they lost that. They kind of had to figure everything out. And it's just it took them a while to make a long story short. But I'm with you in that I don't I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't think they're gonna make it when the dust settles. I don't think Texas Tech is going to make it when the dust settles who started 0 and 8 conference play before they kind of started figuring it out. It's going to be a little bit too little too late for them. They're also 5-10 and 10 in the Big 12. Not in currently by Joe Lenardi's standards, which is humorous because same record as West Virginia. So I think for the Big 12, it's going to be a seven-team league if you know they hopefully are lucky and everything goes the way that it should with those kind of bottom-tier teams like Oklahoma State. But what frightens me, Al, and you've noticed this from watching the ACC and college basketball, these road games, man, 
it's hard to win on the road in college basketball. We're not breaking any barriers saying a sentence like that. But when you go on the road and you just about disappear some nights, I know the crowd is loud. I understand the atmosphere is different than what you're used to. The crowd is loud at your home games too, man. Your place is sold out. Their place is sold out. They're just cheering at different times. The difference, the difference is, is so incredibly large at times in college basketball. It's crazy. It's home and away. It's amazing in terms of the caliber of play. Of, but I guess you realize that they are kids. They're not pros. And that's part of growing up and also part of the caliber of the team. You know, good teams compete on the road. Mediocre or bad teams do not. Now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about the elephant in the room in college basketball. Uh, and believe it or not, it's about the University of Alabama. And Nick Saban is not involved. So among the excitement around college basketball now as we get closer to March was all of a sudden this breaking news story that came out the other day that Alabama star Brandon Miller, and for those that might not know, not only is Alabama good in college football, they're the number two ranked team in the country right now in college basketball. Nate Oates, their head coach, they've been doing well in the SEC and trying to make a name for themselves there, just four losses. Comes out that their star freshman, who's probably going to be a top five lottery pick in the NBA, no question about it, supplied a gun to this murder that happened near Alabama's campus in January. So you see that come across the ticker and you get the update on your phone. You're like, what the hell is going on here? This dude's still playing basketball. So then Nate Oates has to make a comment about it. And he says it was one of those wrong places at the wrong time scenarios and situations, which people of course ran with of how is it possible for you to say that bringing a gun to a murder that was used in the murder is being at the wrong place at the wrong time. You going there is what created the wrong place, man. It wasn't that way before all this went into motion. So then we're wondering, what is the truth as you do with this sort of thing? Who's right? Because lawyers are coming out and making statements and telling their sides of the story and police reports. Where is the medium and the middle from all that's being said? And it seems like from what the lawyers said, from what testimony has been given, and one of the reasons why police haven't arrested Brandon Miller while he's still playing basketball for Alabama, while on Wednesday night, the day after all this happened, he went out and dropped 41 at South Carolina, tied the game in regulation, hit the game winner in overtime. That after dropping 30 when this originally came out in January, when one of his teammates was thrown off the team because he was the one that did the murder. It's just craziness that all this is going on. And basically amounts to him driving to this area to pick this dude up. While he was going there to pick him up, he gave the message, hey, man, bring my gun. It was already in the car under some clothes. He didn't touch the gun at all. Supposedly. It, supposedly. This, it, of course, this is all alleged. As a, as a lawyer, one of the people hosting this show would tell you, allegedly for all of this, Darius Miles goes in, gets the gun, Start shooting at this other car. They're shooting back. Brandon Miller has bullet holes in his car. He drives away and gets out of there. This 23-year-old woman, Jamia Harris, gets shot, and she dies. 
And that's kind of where the night ends. And the basketball team just seemingly carried on living their lives. It's just a wild story of without knowing the definitive it's answers, an, you don't want to jump to conclusions, but it's just crazy to see all this an, on paper. It's an incomplete story. Here's what we know. Alabama's got a terrific team. And this kid's a wonderful player. He is incredibly polished. Anybody who saw the game last night would realize that. Uh, against a raucous crowd, a pumped-up South Carolina team. He's just not doing well in the SEC, but they have talent. Uh, they're under a new regime with Frank Martin gone, and they played well. <clears throat> but this kid just took Alabama on his back and made every big shot in the second half of this game. And I mean every big shot. Threes, going into the lane, left hand, power moves to the glass, off the glass, you name it. He was, you know, from a basketball standpoint, it was a joy to watch. He's a wonderful player. He'll definitely be, you know, a top five pick. He might be the top pick. But there's so much mischaracterization of supposedly what transpired. And I say this respectfully. You just said it, it's alleged that he supplied the gun. Well, so to me, supplied the gun means, you know, let me get this guy. Here's a gun for you, all right? He, based upon what we know, he didn't supply anything. All right? you know, here's my gun. Let me go get this guy. Let me bring this guy a gun. There isn't any allegation that he supplied a gun, quote unquote. The facts are incredibly incomplete, incredibly vague. You know, what his attorney is saying, supposedly, is uh, these guys went to a joint. It was too crowded. He didn't go. Miles wanted to ride home. And he was on his way to get him when this message via text came to him about bring me my joint, a.k.a. my gun. And he's already on his way to pick him up. After that, I have no idea other than Miles got the gun. It went into the hands of somebody else who was the alleged shooter. Here's the problem with all the facts that we have or don't have that I have massive questions about. Number one, did he know the gun was in the car all the time? And by that, I mean you know, our star. Did he know it was concealed under clothes in the back seat? If so, why would he let the guy leave his gun in the back seat of his car? And one of his teammates was with him on the way with Miles, you know, to Miles. Did he know? They get there. Number two, how did Miles get the gun? Did he just reach in the car and grab the gun? And nobody, they didn't see it? They didn't know that he reached in and took his gun? And went into a confrontation? Did one of the guys in the car, if not our superstar, 
his teammate, give him the gun? Did they see him take the gun out and go into the conflict and give the gun to the shooter? I have no idea. But this notion that, you know, you just drive over there and you've seen the message from the guy eventually, bring me my joint, and you, if you know the gun's in the back, and then you see him, and the part of the text message was, was that they were in a confrontation and potentially a conflict. So if you're driving there and you, and then next question, did he reply to that text? Was he driving? Did he open the text? Even if he didn't reply, so he just says, on the way. Or if he doesn't reply at all. But if he sees the text, well, he knows that they're in a confrontation. Because that was the lingo. That was the slang. Does he know he's going there with a gun in the backseat? And when he gets there, how does the gun get in Miles' hands? Do they watch Miles take the gun out of the backseat? And then he goes into a confrontation. Davis grabs it and the girl winds up being killed. I don't know any of this. And based upon what I've read and heard, I have no idea. All I know so far is that the district attorney has not found anything in terms of wrongdoing that would allow them to charge him with a crime. And that's what we know right now. Will there be more? I think there will be more. There will clearly be more facts that are going to be disclosed. The investigation will continue. If nothing else, just based upon what we think we know, if he knows the gun is in the backseat, just that's all I'm saying, just if he knows the gun is in the backseat, and he's got the text, even if he's on the way with Miles saying, bring me my joint with the lingo about the conflict, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? That's just bad judgment to me. Not a crime, but to me, that's incredibly bad judgment. Let me bring my buddy his gun because he says it looks like he's going to need it because there's some you know nasty stuff going on and you are you know one of the top players in the country now i understand you you want to take care of your guys but is that something you should be driving into or driving away from just me i'm not a 19 year old um kid who is being summoned by one of his teammates um, maybe there's the duty to go to the aid it's a different world for the old report I'm not in that world you know these are college kids these I'm not going to say they're street kids because I don't know but certainly you know with the with the lang the, the lingo and and the slang etc uh, you know they're certainly spending more time on the street than I am So, you know, if, if I'm a coach, do I want my guys there? Absolutely not. With a gun in, in, the, in the house? Do I want any of my guys there with a weapon? 
Absolutely not. Star, bench warmer, you know, where nobody on my team do I want owning a gun? Having a gun in their possession. I don't want the team manager having a gun in his possession. Wrong place, wrong time, says NATO's. Uh, probably a lot more than that. You know, to, to me, without more, there is certainly some bad judgment here, to say the least, if he knows the gun is in the car. Just if he knows the gun is in the car. We have so much more to find out. And a lot more facts, I'm sure, will come out. Right now, he's not been charged. And he's cooperating. And Alabama is taking the position that since he's been cooperating fully and there's no evidence of any wrongdoing and there's no charges and the DA has basically said there's nothing we can charge him with, he's playing. Until I know more, I, I and I'm not being, you know, I'm not trying to cop out, but until I know more facts, I can't make a determination of what I would want Alabama to do with this player in terms of his continued participation in the end of the regular season, the SEC tournament, the NCAA tournament. Because now Alabama is almost in a literally catch-22 situation. She suspended him for a game. Well, that's only because, you know, everybody's clamoring for it. Um, you know, and then will you spend him for a game? A fucking game? One game. That's it. One game? I, I mean, it's like, you know, when the football player can't play the first half. Right. All right, because he was, you know, out, out drunk and carousing or he, he beat up, you know, somebody you know, at a party. So he's not going to play the first half and he's not going to play against who? Uh, you know, the Division Three team that they're playing this year. Um, that's the game he's not going to play in. So it remains to be seen what we're going to find out as time goes on, but I'm sure we're going to find out more. And, you know, I'm very curious about it. Uh, it's a, obviously a tragedy that this gal who was a, a young mother was killed. And somebody... Uh, is going to bear the brunt of this. I have no idea who it's going to be. And I have no idea if it was, the the claim right now is the shooting was in self-defense. We'll find out. We'll find out more because the facts are going to come out. And in today's media, with social media, with the constant exposure, with the transparency, we're going to find out as much as will be disclosed as the investigation goes on and, you know, we don't know if this is a case that's ever going to you know, actually go to trial, but we'll find out as much as there is to find out about this because that's simply the way it is now. There is no more cloak and dagger routine and Alabama will have to decide based upon all of the facts what they're going to do with this player. I should say with both of these players, you know, because two guys were in the car and, you know, people are saying, you know, well, you know, Miles is it? No, 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 no. There is another teammate involved and he also was not suspended. 
So it, it's not just, you know, oh, the best player, you know, the star is, isn't catching any heat. No, the, the guy who was in the car with him, who is not accused of any wrongdoing either right now, has not been suspended. The only guy who's off the team, you know, is, is Miles Davis. It's another unfortunate example that we have to talk about in the sports world that just feels gross. And I'm not rooting against Brandon Miller, and I hope he's cleared of any wrongdoing, and I hope he's able to keep playing basketball and be successful in the pros. Some of this, to me, just feels too good to be true. Like you were already on your way to pick this dude up when he got the text. So you could even argue that you didn't see it because you're paying attention to the road. You're not supposed to be texting while driving, for one. So you could argue he didn't even get the text until he got there. The gun just happens to be in the car, and you don't even touch it when Miles goes into the back to get it. Bullets hit your car. You just drive home and go to bed. No problem. It's like somebody wrote it in a script. And then your coach has to eventually find out about this because your players are going to get booked and have to go and do testimony or get put into jail. He knows this happens and just kind of went along with it because they weren't charged with anything. Well, Chris Beard wasn't charged with anything in Texas. His charges got dropped. They fired his ass eventually. Took them a little while. Kids have been suspended from college teams for being caught at a drinking party when they're not even drinking. The cops just happen to come to the house. They get suspended for a couple games. You don't go to class. You fail a class. This used to happen, folks. I'm not really sure how much it happens now. You get suspended. You as a coach can have conduct for how you want your team to act. It just feels gross. And maybe they're doing everything right. I've never been in a situation like this. We don't deal with this as sports people that talk about sports very often. It's also funny that one of the people Nate Oates brought to his team to talk to them when this first happened was his friend Ray fucking Lewis. What is he most known for off the field? And even if you don't suspend him from the team or sit him down for a game for his involvement, why don't you just sit him down because his friends... And he was at a murder scene. Why don't you just talk to him about how he's doing? Instead, go give us 30 against Vanderbilt. Go win the game for us against South Carolina, bro. Forget about what you're dealing with. It's it's an alleged murder scene, remember? Correct. Okay. We don't know that there was a murder. The claim is self-defense, but certainly where where a death occurred. So other than bad judgment, that's all I can accuse him of right now. Right. I agree with you 100%. If he knows that gun was in the car, if he knows the gun was in the car, then he's absolutely guilty of bad judgment. If you see that, there should at least be a text back. Why? For what? Look, here's, here's, here's the best thing that happens. Again, I, I'm being judgmental, and I don't know all the facts. But you get there. And it's get in the fucking car. We're going home. Get in the fucking car. We're going home. Yeah. You want me let's to come go. pick you up? Let's go. Let's get out of here. I mean, man. Let's go. And you want to what? Maybe he did that. Yeah, you're right. Maybe he said, you know, we got to go, man. We got to get out of here. Let's go. This, and then, then maybe the guy grabs the gun and rolls. Again, we don't know. We don't know. If that's the deal, if he's go, if he goes, if he went to get his friend thinking, you know, it's time for me to pick him up. 
And then he sees his friends in trouble and he tells him, get in. We got to roll. And we don't know. And the kid says, you know, fuck you. Give me my gun. And he bolts. And then every uh, the rest of this comes down. I, I got no problem with him going to get his guy. I'm not happy about to do it with a gun in the car. But if he's telling a guy, get in the car and, and let's roll, and the kid grabs the gun and rolls, again, not the best of judgment, but I can understand you want to go get the guy. All of this is pure conjecture on our part. That's why all of these wannabe lawyers or wannabe cops, the wannabe prosecutors and defense attorneys, that's why even as an attorney, I stand back and I ask questions. I don't come to conclusions because I don't have answers to questions. There are vital facts which we simply don't know. There's too many missing sentences and paragraphs to be filled into this story. And until we know more, he said the district attorney's not doing anything, so there's nothing we can charge him with. Bad judgment. If anything, in this instance, uh, as bad as it may have been, does not amount to a chargeable offense. So, um, to be continued. And to the sports media that almost have to comment on stuff like this on sports shows and talk shows. And as soon as this first happened, of course, the first thing was, how can he have the gun? Everybody jumps to conclusions with just the first little bit of information. Then his lawyer, Brandon Miller's lawyer, comes out and gives their side of what happened. Okay, well, maybe we could retract the statements we made from ripping them the other day. As with many things that we deal with, just pump the brakes, step back, and wait for everything to be presented. You don't have to have an opinion without knowing what you're talking about. Although many of sports talk media now is that having to have an opinion without really knowing what you're talking about. It's pretty common. It's not more, just sports. That's you're right. It's everywhere. More, more, Let's not more often than not. I mean, you know, we've got, we've got a Congresswoman who wants us, you know, the red States to secede from the blue States. So a divorce, if you yeah. will. Yeah, it's not uncommon. You're right. It's everywhere. But in sports, take heed. Just take a step back sometimes. It would be nice. It would be nice for those who have the microphones and the podiums and uh, the ability to go worldwide with their voice would be a little more cognizant of the facts and the circumstances before they mouth off. But we got a lot of blowhards who are getting paid. The blow. Last quick thing for you is regarding your potential starting quarterback, Lamar Jackson. His name is well, thrown he's around. Gonna be, he's going to be somebody's starting quarterback. Let's, let's hope so. His name is getting thrown around of late because who wants to pay him the sum of money he is looking for? That is now one of the main topics as the quarterback carousel continues to spin across the National Football League. His number is up literally and figuratively will it be the Ravens or is he going to go somewhere else? What are your thoughts as of now? Because this will also be a fluid situation that we'll deal with throughout the off season. First of all, um, 
again, this is another scenario which is not tragic or uh, involving any bad acts or bad judgment. It's one where we're not quite sure what all the facts are, but in terms of what we read by some pretty reliable sources and reporters, supposedly, his contract demand is not just for all guaranteed money, but for all guaranteed money to an even higher degree than what Deshaun Watson is being paid by the moronic Cleveland Browns, which is a long way from where they were in the offseason last year, which was, I believe, 130 of the contract guaranteed uh, of about a $250 million contract. And they're not close. Most people look at the Sean Watson contract as an outlier because he's the only one who's gotten all guaranteed money. And we know why, because the Browns had to give it to him to get him there because he eliminated the Browns from contention uh, for being traded from Houston. And then when the Browns came back with all guaranteed money, suddenly Deshaun Watson said, I want to go to Cleveland. And lo and behold, as we've discussed on this program, you know what my mindset was on that scenario. He took the Cleveland money because that additional 50 million or so was his war chest to settle the two dozen uh, sexual assault cases being filed against him in civil court. So he had a war chest uh, that was still leaving with $200 million because I figured about $2 million a pop. That was my opinion, uh, which is leaving at least $2 million in guaranteed money. So in exchange for that, he goes to a place he has no desire to go. And stunk up the joint. And they look, you know, he hadn't played for a year and a half. So he's entitled. You know, he gets a pass for this year. Um, but, you know, leave it to the Browns to basically put the rest of the NBA, or the NBA, the rest of the NFL in a terrible situation and circumstance because now they've got this outlier of a contract and Cincinnati has it in dealing with Joe Burrow. The Eagles have it in dealing with Jalen Hurts and obviously uh, my Ravens have it in dealing with Lamar Jackson, who is, you know, a, a former MVP, but on the other hand, and is only 26 years old and has no baggage, but on the other hand, missed, the last two stretch drives of the last two seasons, including a playoff game and really showed no interest even showing up for that playoff game uh, in Cincinnati and being on the sidelines. He said he was sick later on. I don't know how sick he was, but you know, as I've said before, you know, you always see the backup quarterback doing everything he can on the sidelines, on the headset, clipboard, hat, Lamar Jackson is nowhere to be found. And in the playoff game, he's nowhere to be found. And to me, that sent a very bad message to the front office, to ownership, to the fans. If you can get there, you get there. And you do everything you can to help you back up. And I know he was there for the, you know, the, the final team meeting. That's great. But Lamar Jackson's contract demands are based upon a contract that was never been given before. And unless, you know, Cincinnati and Philadelphia decide to do the same thing for their player, uh, are also not going to be given. And I don't think they are. And I don't think those players are going to demand, you know, a, a fully guaranteed contract because 
you know, I think they realize, certainly not to that extent, $250 million, $100 million guaranteed. You want your entire contract guaranteed at $120 million? Well, it's a different story. But, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars fully guaranteed for a player who has not stayed healthy the last two years, that is problematic and makes you wonder, you know, how badly he wants to be a Raven. He's not represented by an agent representing himself with aid of the Players Association. An agent would be a huge benefit here because there wouldn't be you know, the kind of bad blood because the communications would be between the team and the agent versus the team and the player. So he doesn't have to hear anything said about him uh, that they may say to the agent about why they're not offering what he wants. But he's got his heels dug in. And now the decisions with the Ravens as to whether or not they will franchise tag him, exclusive or non-exclusive, they're clearly going to tag him. The question is what kind of tag they could have put on him. Exclusive means only they can negotiate with him, and it's going to be $45 million for the year. Non-exclusive means anybody can negotiate with him as a free agent. And if they sign into an offer sheet, the Ravens can match it. And if they lose him, they get two first-round picks from that team. and if he plays under that tag, it's about $33 million. So it's a big difference. I have no idea what they're going to do. Everybody tells you something different. You're exclusive. You're non-exclusive. You're trade. You're no trade. All Eric DaCosta says is our goal is a long-term deal. But they have made no headway from our point of view and everything we've seen and heard towards that long-term deal. So the first step, the next step will be what kind of tag they put on. Uh, I know as a Raven fan, I would love to see them sign him. Uh, I don't think I want to see a quarter of a billion dollars spent on him because of his recent injury history. My number has been 175 in terms of the guaranteed money on 250. Uh, I could see them even going to 200 on 250. But I don't see the Ravens guaranteeing $250 million. And then the question becomes, you know, trade possibilities. In my mind, if you can find a way to get two first-round picks out of this draft on top of the one you've got and future picks, uh, I, I make that deal. Because the key for the Ravens, if they lose him, is to be able to get into a high enough pick to get one of these quarterbacks. The one I want is Stroud. I think he's going to be terrific. For example, if the Ravens could flip Lamar Jackson to the Bears for fields in the first pick in the draft, I'd do it. And with the first pick, I'd take Stroud, and then I'd take fields, and I'd flip him for more picks. And then I'm in great shape because I've got no cap issues once Lamar is gone. And I can sign Patrick Queen, who wants an extension to an extension. And I can sign a free agent or two because I don't have any cap worries at all. But all of this remains to be seen. And the first step is going to be what kind of tag is going to go on Lamar Jackson and how does he react to it? If it's a non-exclusive tag, he's out there to negotiate with whoever he wants. Knock yourself out. And that gives the Ravens some flexibility if, because I don't know what other teams are going to offer him. Are they going to offer him $250 million guaranteed? That's what they offer them. Ravens aren't going to match that. 
But let's say they make him an offer, which he's willing to accept. He signs off on, which is similar to what the Ravens are offering him now. Ravens would probably jump at it versus two picks. We always know from experience it only takes one team. Only takes one Browns. Will somebody else be the Browns? Will somebody be as dumb as the Haslam's? As poor franchise managers as the Haslam are? As the Haslam's are? Well, we'll see if the tag is a non-exclusive tag. If it's the exclusive franchise tag, we won't see anything except potential trade negotiations with other teams between the Ravens and those teams versus Lamar negotiating with those teams on the non-exclusive tag. Maybe the answer after all that dust settles, Al, is A.J. McCarron, who's now 2-0 in the XFL <laughs> with two comeback victories. That might be it. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, until next week, for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plants. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.